0: This is the Edified Podcast
1: for the Sermon. Danny, how many um, sermons have you heard about Song of Solomon? <laughs> Not many. <laughs> why? Well, we know why, don't we? I, I know some folks that get himmy-jimmies when they talk about Song of Solomon. But you know what's supposed to be there. God put it there. There's a lot of wisdom, especially for husbands and wives. But you know what's interesting about the whole thing of Song of Solomon is that's a picture of Christ in the church. Mm-hmm. Chapter 1, verse 15 says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Beautiful is not a phrase we often associate with the church. I'm going to read an excerpt from The Loveliest Place by Dustin Binge. And he says, The church is a beautiful place. It's not a, it's not a word that we often associate with the church. Words like organization, mission, vision, and even body come to mind, but not beautiful. Denny, how long have you been preaching?
0: i've been in the pulpit for a little over 14 years but if you count my time growing up and preaching with lads and just preaching in general when i get the chance probably up over 20
1: years yeah i think we all might have cut our teeth on last leaders um i think i started when i was like eight you know or something like that um p.s i just built coffee on my bible so basically life is over um Anyway, back to the church. We're talking about different stuff, different week, different folks on the podcast every week. Uh, Last week I talked about God made a minister. Um, That old, uh, um, what was his name, guy used to do, Paul Harvey. He used to do the, uh, so God made a farmer, God made a police officer, whatever. God made a minister. There's a difference between a preacher and a minister. Uh, Can a preacher be a minister or... Can a minister preach? How would you word that? How would you go about that?
0: I think you can be a preacher and not be a minister. Okay. Uh, I think you can be a minister and not be a preacher. I think they can go different places, but I also think that you can be a uh, preacher and be a minister, and if you can combine those two and be effective in it, I think that makes you a, a super effective soldier in the
1: kingdom. Sure, so, like, you know, like when you think about preaching is a ministry. My, my title at Piedmont Road is pulpit minister, meaning that that's how the elders want me to minister. That's what they do. They employ me in that way, that I minister through the pulpit. and But what you're saying is is that if we minister only through the pulpit, we're not as effective.
0: I agree. I, I think, uh, now don't get me wrong, you can minister from the pulpit, sure. bringing the word, the bread of life, uh, two members um, but you become more effective when you're going through that daily grind with uh, the members that are in the congregation when you're getting to know their lives and, and you're in tune with what they're needing uh, from the bread of life than just sure. getting up there just preaching what you choose that you think they they need to hear. Yeah,
1: so like, I go away and I plan my sermons for a year but then like Every month I meet with my elders, the first Sunday of every month, and I meet with my elders, and I ask them, what do you know, what needs to be talked about, what doesn't need to be talked about, because I can bring up something like going through Matthew. I preached through Matthew two years ago um, and preached the whole book, and it was like 38 sermons. So like almost all of my preaching last year was Matthew, which was was amazing. But there were times where the elders kind of seen where I was headed, or what was coming up, and if there was something going on, they would say, "Hey, by the way, be gentle about this. We got this going on." Or, in fact, why don't why don't we talk with this person, or you talk with this person beforehand? Because obviously, you don't you don't get to pick what's in there. Like when you're preaching through a book, the Holy Spirit's already done all that for you. He's laid it out. But like, sometimes your preaching ministry you cannot minister. It can, in fact, hurt. It can hurt people because um, you don't know your people.
0: Sure. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know the struggles. I mean, you unless get up there. You, unless
1: you minister. What you're right.
0: Saying. If you have a hard lesson on, uh, let's say, alcohol, and and you're just really getting into it, but yet you've got a person in the pew that is really battling the problem with alcohol, and they leave beat up uh, and go back out into the world. Uh, We don't necessarily want that. We want them to be able to overcome. So, yes, there are times that you've got to, you should be able to be gentle in your approach, not compromise the Word of God, but understand who your audience is and what they're
1: going through. Sure. Well, you know, you see some preachers, they separate grace and truth, or they separate truth and love. They, They think that those things are opposite. And I posted something last week about truth and love and about how they're not, they're not opposites. In fact, they're inseparable. You know, truth—truth truth isn't truth unless it's uh, first born out of love, because God is love and He gives us truth. Like He's the essence of truth. But also, love isn't true if it isn't of truth. You know, so. Well, look at Jesus, example of examples. Oh, yes. He didn't separate the two.
0: Right. He never compromised his truth, but yet he was always there to extend his. His love and his grace to, to those around him, no matter what their background was. Yeah. And what a lesson we can, can learn from that.
1: Going back to this binge quote, he said, Beautiful is not a phrase we often associate with the church. Words like organization, mission, vision, and even body come to mind, but not beautiful. Why is that? I uh,
0: you know, straightforward answer is is we don't want to admit it but I think the church has become so pharisaical in their approach
1: that you miss seeing the beauty. Okay, so when we say the church, we're talking about the the body of believers who have been baptized into Christ. Uh, They've been added to the church um, by faith, and God does that adding, Acts 2. Um, These are a group of people, and so when we say, when you say the church has become so pharisaical like you mean like members or elders or both or preachers or everybody or
0: I think it's everybody. I, I think it's the the concept and, and what I mean here of of making sure that we're doing everything that we can do in in tow with what God wants. And nothing wrong with that. Sure. But sometimes I think we tack on some of our traditions, we tack on some of our customs to sure. ensure that we do not compromise any of that and therefore because of that it becomes more routine it becomes more mundane it becomes just a well we've got to do this Wednesday and Sunday here we go instead of having a little bit of emotion in it yeah we don't you you go across how many places do you see have true genuine tears during the Lord's supper when you're thinking about what Christ has has really done for you other than just sitting in the pew, taking the Lord's Supper as we always do every every week as we're commanded to. Sure.
1: You know, I think about um, one of the reasons that we don't consider it to be beautiful is because of the problems that we see. Mm -hmm. You know, if you minister, if you don't just preach, if you minister, um, number one, you have problems. I have problems. We all have all our own problems in our own families. But then there's people in the church, and you know them, and they, they have problems. And it's almost like the last thing that we see it as is something that's beautiful because of, I would say, the brokenness of homes. You know, um, and, and he says these, these words, organization, uh, mission, vision. That that can be so, that itself can be so checklist. We can be so, you know, not just as much as we talk about the the. The, the church being so, um, and of course this is a general statement, you know, some people don't don't deal with this at all, but you know how we can be so bent on making sure that we're stuck to the doctrine, um, that doesn't mean leave the doctrine, but that we, we make the doctrine what we worship rather than the God who give us the doctrine. And you see other churches that focus so much on efficiency and quantity And numbers and that's that's what equates success or big budgets or big trips or whatever you see some organizations and that's that's what you call them I mean there's some churches that are that are para organizations they that's really what they are there's something that aids the work of of the Lord and um, you know there nobody's exempt from this kind of stuff people just kind of put focus where they want to that's where you need to have a healthy balance sure he says, we like helpful organizational charts that describe the purpose and function of the church. That's true. Mm-hmm. We do. We do like that. He says, we want we want to place her members in properly assigned roles and duties. We also want to do that. We underscore the qualifications and responsibilities of church leaders. Mm, maybe. Yes. Okay. We emphasize the church's theology and mission among the nations. We even pinpoint and seem to critique her problems and failures endlessly. While all of these diminutive details may be necessary for fulfilling her divine task on earth, there's a cumulative danger of consigning the church to mere administrative categories that are indistinguishable from our neighborhood civic club. What that looks like is the bulletin isn't exactly the way that we want it this week, and so we're upset all during worship because the bulletin has a misspelled word. You ever run into something like that before?
0: Oh, yeah. Or the song leader picks a song that congregation doesn't know, and therefore he's up there seemingly singing a solo, and you can't get past that the rest of the service. Oh, yeah. Um, There's so many different examples that you can use. But I think, again, we become so structured and so in tune with everything that we do that we forget just to be the church. I, I've heard it put put a long time ago. We've taken taken Christ out of the building instead of having him be there and us represent yeah. and be the ambassadors that we need to be for him.
1: So it's easier for us to look at the church and find the find all the mold spots on the side of the white siding. Um when you Let's shift the gears and talk about the church and her being beautiful and why she is. Revelation 19, verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Um, It was given to her, verse 8, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage, supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words. And then John's response is, then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So... An angel revealing this to John. John's natural response when he saw this beauty of this church, of this, of the marriage feast of the bride and the bridegroom his immediate response was worship. Okay. When we think of the church, do we automatically think of worship? Or if we were to take a poll, how many folks would say, when I think of church, I think of sinners. Okay, that's not a bad thing. Mm -mm. Some folks would say, when I think of the church, I think of a preacher. That in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but people can become preacher followers. Um, somebody would say, when I think of the church, I just think about hypocrites, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, how many of us, would we would think that when we think of the church and the bringing together of Jesus and the church, that worship is, at, worship is in mind. Um, how many folks do you think in your congregation feel that way?
0: I would say a lot of folks in the congregation. Um, that's the way that I view it: um, is to be able to worship, be able to give glory to God through His body. Um, but I, but I think other things of thinking about the preacher, thinking about um, these other aspects come into play and take away from sure the true vision that we should see in sure. her beauty.
1: So. It's a true thing that there are some people that come in that day and they didn't come to worship they did, but they didn't
0: right and I think that's I think that's what you really got to pinpoint is how do we how are we really viewing the church in worship? are we just viewing is it a checklist that hey it's it's Sunday we've got to come in, we've got to do this, or are we coming in with the view the true view of this beautiful Thing that we have been invited to partake of every first day of the week to come together to to take the purpose of the supper to remember Christ and what He did for us and and we've got an opportunity to partake of that. Do, do we come in excited and and honored and 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 uplifted that we can share in this?
1: Well, if you're like me, sometimes as the preacher, I'm thinking about my sermon. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing. When I think about coming into the worship, it used to be where I was at in a little rural Georgia country church with no elders. Um, You can't get to the pulpit without five or six people stopping you. Um, Dale Jenkins says that he was one time standing in the back of the auditorium fixing to go up and preach, and somebody comes up behind him and says, hey, the toilet's overflowing, you know, (laughs) like he's got a set of pipe wrenches or something, you know, that he can fix it right before he goes up and preach. And um, that can be a, a very much of a mindset. And I think about me, you know, I'm sitting there beside Stone, and Stone, uh, there's times where Stone has to go to the bathroom right before I'm supposed to get up and speak. It's like, okay, well, guess what? You're going to have to hold it, or you can go by yourself, you know. Or
0: walking up and, <laughs> and being criticized over something from earlier, and then trying to get up and oh, yeah. and get your mind back focused, oh, ready yeah. to go with what you've prepared.
1: Yeah, when you see the sweet sister, old sister in the parking lot flicker a cigarette out and it burns one of your kids and there's a fight and altercation, and, you know, and dude, sometimes it's just hard to get your mind right to worship, even as a preacher, you know, even as an elder. I mean, I, I know sometimes like two weeks ago, my elders were in a meeting before worship and they were in a meeting after worship. And it was like, bless their hearts, you know, because they have to be thinking about worship. And what's interesting, he says, this marriage feast, um, we partake of that, like you said, every week. You know, we're there for the Lord's Supper. That's the reason that we're there. That's the command to be there on the first day of every single week. But sometimes it's hard to be there. I mean, it's like being at home, you know. It's like being at home. Some days you're home, but you're not home. Because of work, because of life, because of church work, because of your own personal health or somebody else in your family or whatever you got going on, you know. Uh, Or this don't happen at Georgia, but let's just say if Georgia were to lose, you know. um. No, you had to bring in the Bulldogs. (laughs) So Denny is from Tennessee. He's up here in Udawah, Tennessee. And uh, you went to Bradley? I went to to
0: Bradley in Cleveland and then UTC. Okay. That's where I
1: graduated from. Okay, so Danny and I both are good buddies and have been for a while, and we have good fun. I pull for the Vols when they're not playing Georgia, Uh, and neither one of us pull for the Tide. I like Saban, but I don't like the Tide just because of the fans. But anyway, um, but you know, there's times where we're thinking about a thousand things, even while we're taking the Lord's Supper. If I'm not careful, I'm going to be pulling up my notes. Why? Why? Why am I that way? And, and I guess I would say it's probably because I'm thinking about my sermon uh, because there is a weight to it. I mean, you're fixing to get up there and preach. There's massive weight to that. It's not frivolous. And so you're making sure that what you're doing is God-honoring, but at the same time, I mean, it's like in Matthew when Jesus said, you're, you're, you've got finances to take care of your mother and father, and you don't because you say, oh, this is dedicated to the Lord. That's like saying that we don't take care of ourselves in worship because we've got to preach or we're not making sure our mind is right in worship. And talking about the church, and that's kind of this this thing this week, Denny preaches at the Udawah Church, and you've been here... 14 years. 14 years. So I've been here a couple of times on Sunday morning, and the thing is about Denny is Denny's the kind of guy that he's going to touch everybody's shoulder, hand, babies, name their boats, whatever, um, as they come in. Not every preacher's that way. Some preachers are very much wait until the show starts and then they come out of their office. Why do you do what you do? Why do you why are you amongst the people? Why do why why does it why does it matter to you to be that kind of person?
0: I mean for me it is it's a love for souls. Um and it's a it's it comes naturally uh for me. I, I want to um get in there and see everybody and uh, from a minister side of things i 'm looking i 'm looking for those that that may be hurting um see it in their eyes uh they 're here, but you can tell something 's off to to where I know hey, you know if I come in jake i you know I can tell you're you 've had a rough day that lets me know, hey, I need to spend a little bit of time next week trying to not necessarily prime but just let you know i 'm there. Sure. and And take you for coffee, do something um just to let you know that you're not alone yeah. um other times it's just to hear the the good to hear what's going on good things in your life um you know there's a lot of multiple things but but I'm a firm believer you you don't you don't know what's going on in people's lives unless you're in their lives and you know what's going
1: on that all that's the what. That's the what of what you do. Tell me why. Are you? Do you think? I mean, I I know what I do, and and if somebody were to ask me why, I probably wouldn't have a pinpoint answer. Jake, why do you do what you do? Why do you care what's going on in the lives of the church? Why do you care to shake their hands? And you and you said it comes naturally, and I get it. But what what was your because what this this passion for the church. You know, for the glory of God, for the edification of the church and the saints, what causes us to have that passion for the lost, for souls that we preach to, and sometimes we feel like we preach at, you know, what what stirs that love or what stirs that passion? Where does that come from? Why? Is it something that I'm lacking in or something that I want people to do for me, you know, or is it i didn't have enough of this growing up, or is it the love of Jesus compels me to live this kind of way?
0: For me, it would be the love of Jesus uh, that pushes me to want to be involved. Um, there is nothing more delightful there's nothing more that brings happiness to my life than to be able to watch souls grow closer to christ mm. and uh, but on the flip side of that, nothing breaks my heart more than when I find out, you, you know, a lot of us preachers have always been in those times where we have a couple that comes in and goes, hey, we just need to let you know we're getting a divorce. Yeah. Oh, by the way. And and you're like, how long has this been going on? Well, it's been going on for months, even years. And and, and at that point, you're you sit back and, and from my standpoint, I'm going, I wish you would have told me months ago that I could have, you know, worked with you, tried, you know, given pointers, you know, and, and trust me, I'm not a, a saint whatsoever in, in my own marriage. We've got our own struggles, but uh, to be able to share that, that you're not alone, uh, I think of how many souls feel like they are alone in this life. Away from, away from when we're assembled here on Sundays, mm-hmm. and and for me, I don't want anybody to feel alone, yeah. and so that pushes me to spread that love. Well,
1: you know, I think about like, and I've had people ask me like, what What made you want to get into preaching? You know, why preaching? I remember as a kid, I remember one time telling my dad, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to ever preach because I don't want to have a preacher family. You know, I don't want the brethren to um, to Talk about my family like the way that some some brethren do, and of course that went away. And the great thing is, is I have seen nothing. I've seen a few, few, um, uh, what do you say, um, mm, undesirables, okay, in in this ministry. But ninety nine percent of the people that I deal with are the best people in this world. And so, in reality. The church is beautiful, not because of the people, but because of the people. Um, and either, there's there's this old slogan, old saying, either you love preaching or you love the people to whom you preach. And those are two different animals. Um, to love to preach is one thing, but to love the people to whom you preach is quite another. If you don't love them, if you don't have a passion for these people and weep with those who weep and, and hurt with those who hurt and cry, you know, Laugh with those who are laughing, and it's amazing that we're commanded to do that. You're commanded to laugh with those who are laughing, rejoice with them, and you're commanded to weep with those who are weep. Why do you think we're commanded? Why do you, why do you, why is it just it just natural? Because not everybody's just natural.
0: Mm-mm. You know, it, it, it's commanded because it's it's needed. It's it's that loneliness. You know, think about times that you've hurt. You know that I've hurt and. And all you have wanted is somebody just to sit there and, and shed tears with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I go back to think of, of Jesus when he gets ready to raise Lazarus up. Why did he weep there at that scene knowing he was getting ready to tell him, come on up out of here? Yeah. Um, you know, but I think it was, you know, the emotions of he knew they were hurting. He knew that they felt lonely that nobody else feels what I am feeling right now. Uh, And there's, I mean, we just got back from CYC a couple weeks ago, and one of the things that had a skit with SWAT that was, uh, had multiple people come around and and this guy was struggling, but at the very end of the skit, all he really wanted was just somebody to sit down next to him and just sit. you know, I, I, the church is really a beautiful thing. And one thing that makes the church so beautiful is the people that make it up. Sure. You know, I I fell into the, the, the same thing similar to you. I grew up, my parents were heavily involved in church things. You know, mom was secretary for 20 plus years. And then, uh, dad was deacon and an elder and, you know I saw things that I probably shouldn't have seen I heard things that I shouldn't have heard uh so I had decided that i'd long before high school I was not gonna <laughs> enter in be a preacher um but at the same token the the day that I got a call from a an elder that knew me and asked me to come fill in a uh a, a pulpit for their preacher that was on vacation. I decided to to take it, and a fire was lit and um, and here you are and here I am years later, and I'm thankful for that I'm thankful for God's nudge um, on that, but it's you to be an effective minister uh you've got to love the people who you're ministering to,
1: yeah, you know, and going back to that command. It's commanded, yes, because it's needed, and it's commanded because sometimes I don't feel like weeping with those who weep. Sometimes I want people to weep with me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I want people to rejoice with me. Sometimes you don't want a buzzkill. Sometimes you're on a high; things are good for you in your life, and the last thing you want to do is go where it's sad, because what it, because what it does is it make you it puts you back into. I mean, it's like watching it's like watching movies with father and child relationships, like. I can't watch movies like that. It gets me. It it bothers with me. bothers me um, because I have my own, my own son, and it, it's like um, there's 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 reminders there that you don't want to go back down when it comes to the sad stuff, or the mean stuff, or the evil stuff that you don't want to. Um, you don't want to have to relive, and and. In God's providence, he's calling you to relive it, you know, in certain times. One of the things that's beautiful about the church is conversions, when a person converts to Christ. Um, You know, there's a whole lot that goes into conversion, and conversion is a lifelong process. There's no doubt. But I tell you one of the best moments is when a person in front of you, you're studying with or talking with or you're preaching, and they have that aha moment. Um, when they have that the light comes on moment, and what they realize, it's the most horrifying time of their life, but it's also the most true time of their life, and it can also be one of the most beautiful times of their life. It's the most, it's the most horrifying because they know, oh no, mm-hmm. I'm lost. Um, but it's also a refreshing moment to know. It doesn't have to stay that way. That's one of the best things. How in the world do we as, as preachers and serving in these roles of minist- minist- as in, in administration, uh, in administration of the ministry, let me put it that way, when we administer ministry to people outside of the pulpit? We have a passion for people but sometimes that passion can get us in trouble. What does that look, what has that looked like for you in in the years that you've been laboring?
0: Well, you've gotta make sure you've got balance. Um, for me, I've got two wonderful little girls, eight and six, um, and, and, a, and a beautiful wife, but there's times that if you're not careful, your passion for other people and you not saying no to certain aspects pulls you away from your family. Sure. And then your family takes a, a back seat just as you were hitting on last week. You've still got a responsibility to minister to your family first. Yeah. Um and if you're not careful, that passion can can overtake and you know, I've known I've I've known preachers that will be on vacation with their families are supposed to be Uh, gone out of pocket this is their time to vent but because you know somebody calls and says hey I'm going through this they up and and boogie back from their vacation leaving their family uh, down there to spend the rest of the time now granted I understand that there could be emergencies that would call for that but uh, I think we need to have a healthy balance to to sometimes just say no And and here, I mean that's another reason why we've got shepherds here in our congregations too to make sure. Yeah. um, To me, that is where the passion can get out of control. Is it consumes your time? It consumes everything, and pulls you away from your family, which should be your first priority. Even though it's good
1: things, it's It's good things. So that that can happen to folks, and this is one thing we need to help people understand. Even as preachers preaching to people who are Christians, uh, there are good things that can pull them away from their families, mm-hmm. or that can pull them away from God. Um, another thing that another thing um, talking thinking about what you what you just said, I practice what's called willful negligence. I willfully. Will neglect things. I won't answer calls and I won't answer text. Um, if Stone is awake, I'm, that phone is not in my hand doing church work. You know, um, I've, I have to make a. a uh, I have to force myself sometimes to do that because I don't want him to 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 have to have hate for the church because I didn't know how to say no to people. And that can happen. There's there's people, preachers, who lose their families because they could not say no. But also in another way, it it makes me, I, I'm not as bad as I used to be, or, or I'm not as attached as I used to be. Let me put it that way. And what I mean is, is like you see somebody that you've been working with and working on and working through and they convert and they're striving and striving and striving. They're working, they're working. But something comes along and it's a temptation, or it's a problem, or it's a pain, or it's whatever, and you see them depart the faith and leave Jesus, and your passion is for them, but you're suffering because they have walked away. 2 Peter 2, he says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which means that they've converted out of that mess, and he says, and they are again entangled in them, meaning the things that they left for Jesus, they're now back in. And they're not they're not just struggling with it, but he says they're entangled. Literally they're they are wrapped, wrapped in constraint. And it it's not it's not an issue that came up once. This is something that they're they're in it. He says, if they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. And I know some folks would say, and I agree, the reason that it's worse is because if hell is their forever home, then they're going to have the mindset to say, I had salvation, but I forsook it. He says in verse twenty one, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. That verse twenty two Nobody wants to see a dog eat puke, especially that just come out of his belly. And nobody wants to see the county fair hog that's just been polished out there in the mud and thinking, what a waste, how disgusting. Uh, It's going to stink. But we see that, don't we? Mm -hmm. And I used to be more... That used to bother me more And what I mean is, is not saying that it doesn't bother me now, but I've kind of developed this slogan is that personal work isn't personal. It's personal, but it's not personal. So when Jesus is there and he's just fed thousands of people, and his disciples are there, and the disciples watch Jesus willfully say things that he knows is going to trip up this Jewish audience, he uses cannibalistic terms. If you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. Okay, all right, that's <laughs> that's plenty, Jesus. Okay, mm-hmm. you, you did it. And but he knew what he was gonna do. And he willfully says those things, knowing that they will become disgusted. Those are trigger words, and they leave him. They walk away from him. And there are the twelve, and Jesus turns right around and looks at the twelve who have been following him, and he says, are you going to go away? What does Peter say to him? (laughs) Do you remember? (laughs) He says, you've got the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? And he says, well, you've said rightly, but he said, even one of y'all is a devil. (laughs) If there was ever a mic drop conversation, it was there. Jesus doesn't hate people, uh, but Jesus hates fake. And... I can't know the things that he knows, but what that tells me is if Jesus, if Jesus has a sense of comfortableness, and Jesus doesn't excuse himself from the departure of some people, Jesus knows that he's going to call some people to walk away from their families, and Jesus knows that what he's asking them to do, they're not willing to do, and he lets them depart. That 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 doesn't kill my passion for the church. It that that would kill my passion for the fake church.
0: And I and I think it it also will make you more effective as a minister. Because now uh it, the longer that I'm in this and and I think you would agree too. Longer I'm in this, the more you can kind of pick up on those that are fake and that you're working with, that you're trying to pull out of a situation, you can just tell their heart is not in it versus someone else who is really trying um, to overcome, but maybe still have their hiccups, still have their trip ups. Um, For me, it is a whole lot easier to sacrifice my time and, and really dive into their mess of a life when I know that they're trying to be sincere for Christ other than the ones who are just really just wanting to get their way Uh, and and I think and that's one thing that I do love about Jesus like you mentioned he was very direct he never compromised his truth he wanted he wanted realness he wanted your heart and if he didn't have it we will go live your life yeah, you're you're not worthy to follow me.
1: I told a, I told a couple the other day counseling in a wedding, a marriage. They've been married for X number of years, going through a hard time, and the, and I told them I said, "Hey, listen," and neither one of them are Christians. And I said, "Listen, if this marriage isn't going to be for God, then stop it. You're wasting your time." Uh, you're you're putting on a good moral face, but but that they've got so much stuff going on. Um, I hate it for them, I really do. Uh, but none of it is God honoring, and in fact, they can't honor God with their life because they're not in Christ, and so it's vanity. The Ecclesiastes is full of that. There's no reason to work or do anything if God's uninvolved. It's empty. It's it's a waste, and it's a waste of time. And so what I told them was, your problem with your marriage is your own personal unholiness. That's what I told them and I said it's not him it's not her it's you and it's you and that's the problem and a book that I, I I asked them to read is you and me forever and it's by Francis and his I think it's Lisa Chan Francis Chan wrote it he and his wife and the books about marriage but it's not about marriage it's about your own personal relationship with Jesus despite how your spouse is and that's what will make you the great spouse and so this couple I told him I said listen both of you are suffering And if you're just gonna keep it as this vain and empty suffering, why don't y'all just divorce? You're not gonna be saved because you stayed married, you know, just divorce. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, but if it's not for God, it's a waste of time. It's not God honoring. And and I think they're still at that table scratching their heads like what in the world is he talking about? You know, but people don't understand. And I asked him, I said, why do you want a good marriage? So that you can uh, have comfort in these ways and you can have peace in these ways and have pleasure in these ways and fulfillment in these ways? But even that's vanity. And I said, if this marriage isn't so, God can get the glory, and you can save other people's marriages, you're wasting your time. And um, back to the beautiful church, as we kind of wrap this up. She's beautiful because of the people. Mm -hmm. But she's beautiful because Jesus has made those people the people. And sometimes she's not beautiful because of the people. But we have a passion for them. And I think the first place that stems from is that God had a passion for us, and we see Christ's passion. And it's it's called the passion, and I don't I don't think that that's something. It's something you can't take lightly. No, and you think about it too. I don't think that there, I think it's a reason that it's called passion, because that's what passion will push you to do. This this work isn't easy always. It's very fulfilling. Um, it's there's there's gratification, no doubt. But this is a passion, just as much as it was for Jesus and his passion. No, we're not hauling a cross up a hill and being nailed to it. Um, But we are are bringing the body of Christ to shore, to a heavenly shore. And there's days where we don't want to row. There's days we don't want to talk to these people. There's days where we are sick with them. Um, And he could just as easily have that same emotion with me. Uh, But he doesn't. (laughs) And so...
0: Um, but can you imagine how great a feeling we're going to have when we get to those shores and we see all these souls that we worked so hard to
1: to bring along yeah. on those shores with us? And this, this image of him patting you on the shoulder and saying, well done. That That's um, one of the great blessings of being in preaching and in ministry, is bringing people from death to life and being a part of that. Uh, but sanctification is something that a person is set apart at their conversion. But sanctification is ugly because it's back and forth, and it's, it's a war. It's where they're being cleansed as He is cleansed. So it's an ongoing process. And... Uh, if you're listening to this, you're having struggles about the church and your passion for church, if you're burnt out with the church, um hit, hit us up. Hit me up on um the Adify page uh or me personally. Um, or if you want to learn how to be, you know, a people a person who loves people like Denny Howell, reach out to Denny on Facebook and um he'll uh, he'll sell you he'll sell you his love, you know, in a jar, uh, a clear mason jar. And uh, it'll just be air, but you can just pretend that it's his juju, you know, or his his voodoo. And uh, anyway, um, you got anything else? No, sir. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, man. Um, I wanted it kind of be easy because we can we can lose um, we can lose the passion in why we do what we do because of what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very easy to
0: get burnt out.
1: Yeah. And um, probably some good reliefs. Take a break. Take a break. Tell your elders. If you're burnt out, tell your elders. Hey, I need some help. I need some time alone. Uh, Jesus went away from time to time. Went to be by himself and talked with his daddy. And um, we all could do that. that Imagine
0: be. what we would do if we'd actually just do some of the things that Jesus did. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Well, we got deadlines, Dennis. we got that. Got that? Uh, some of some of us have a bulletin mm-hmm. to do every week. Thankfully, I don't. I was at Josh Posey's office last week in Bowden, and he was working on. It. He said, "You do the bulletin?" I said, "No." He said, "Lucky you." You know, of course, I write in it. You know, an article, but anyway. Uh, let's um, let's end in prayer, and um, um, pray for the passion of the church.
0: Almighty, infinite Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your grace, and your mercy, but above all, Father, just your foresight to bring your church to this world, and Father, we know that that was only done because of Jesus and his willingness and his love and his passion for us, but Father, I pray that each one of us will grow in our passion for souls and grow in our passion for you. Father, it really is. Church is a beautiful thing. And what a what an honor, what a privilege to be able to share a part in this great and wonderful body. Father, we love you. We thank you for men like Jake. We thank you for the other ministers and, and elders and deacons that serve in, in so many different capacities serving souls. But Father, I just pray that your your body will do better at letting their passion grow for people. We love you. It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.